Selections from Chats on Oriental China by J. F. Blacker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 4 A Sketch Showing Porcelain Classed According to the Order of the Discovery of Colors and Glazes. Our first task will be to classify the porcelain according to the order of its discovery, and in this relation we shall be largely guided by form and color, which in the oldest pieces is naturally less diversified than in the later. Perhaps the oldest pottery is that improperly called Bocaro, owing to its resemblance to the pottery which, in Portugal, bore this name, and as we shall see presently, the Portuguese were the first to visit the land of far-off Cathay. The colors on Bocaro ware are very varied, and some imitate bronze. Many colored enamels cover other pieces with a dense glaze which completely hides the shape or body. These pieces are usually molded, but examples have been found where the decoration has been cut with a tool in the paste when wet. Other specimens have been carved in the paste after it has been dried in the sun. The second class in order of age would be white porcelain made of kaolins from different districts which give different tints to the white and unequal densities to the wear some being heavy and some light possibly the light wear of this period gave rise to the idea of soft paste the white itself varies in tint from a fine creamy glaze which is very beautiful called blanc de chine then there is a bluish white called white of snow and a plain white called white of flower the creamy white is valued very highly by the Chinese themselves, and Franks mentions an instance where a Hong Kong merchant, after making many magnificent presents to an English gentleman, gave him as an object of great value a white cup of this kind enclosed in a case lined with silk. This blanc de chine was highly esteemed in the 17th and 18th centuries, especially in France and Spain. It is interesting to notice that this kind of whiteware was imitated by the early makers of European porcelain at St. Cloud and Chelsea, and many of these specimens of white hard paste have been ascribed to Plymouth, which, with Bristol, was the only factory to make hard paste in England. The Chelsea imitation of an oriental teapot with raised flowers is the one which has the noted mark of the raised anchor on a tablet. With regard to color applied under the glaze, blue was the first to be so employed. Cobalt had a facility for cohering with the body itself, therefore it was utilized for decoration before the glaze was applied. Sometimes the transparent white glaze was replaced by a blue-tinted glaze. In that case the blue decoration, applied under the glaze by painting on the body of the ware itself, could be easily seen through the blue glaze. Red, derived from copper, was applied under the glaze, sometimes alone and sometimes with blue, forming the decoration of two colors under the glaze. With these colors used under the glaze, as with the blue alone, the blue-tinted glaze was frequently substituted for the transparent glaze. This red was the red derived from copper. At about the same period the reds, derived from iron and gold, were applied as enamel colors upon the glaze, at a lower temperature than that used in the main kiln. The second kiln was called a muffle kiln. The glaze and the enamel colors were both melted by the heat in the muffle kiln, but the body was not affected. Direct heat was not required, but the melting process was sufficient to unite the glaze itself and the enamel colors so firmly that in some cases the colored enamel might be taken for the glaze. 
generally however these enamel colors project far enough from the covering glaze so as to be easily felt by the finger next followed the use of gold applied to decorations on the black familiar and green families or on other enamels amongst the most beautiful of these enamels was the green which was applied upon the glaze by the fire of the muffle furnace this color was derived from copper and is called ver de cuivre it soon held a high place in the scheme of decoration of vases plates and dishes as well as figures of the highest quality and is recognized as a distinct family la famille verte but whilst the reds and greens were enamelled on the glaze blue was still employed for decoration under the glaze these familles are separately dealt with and illustrated in order of the discovery of the colors next comes violet from manganese and the yellows from cadmium and iron creating a new series which is termed the yellow family la famille jaune all these yellows were enamel colors but they were not often used alone sometimes there is a combination of two groups as green and yellow or green and red these have been classified as jaune vert and rose vert we simply refer to these names in case any of our readers should come across them in the descriptive catalogue or in books dealing with oriental porcelain perhaps the most beautiful of all the enamel colors applied to oriental porcelain is the rose a red derived from gold bearing in mind that we are roughly tracing the age of the colors that is the period of their applications this rose red would bring us to the yongqing and qinlung periods enriched as the chinese potters were by this superb tint they simply reveled in dominating their productions with it it is classified as the rose family la famille rose to these periods belong the beautiful class of pink back plates to which further reference will be made later onward from this time the trading relations between europe and china becoming more and more intimate foreign influences began to make themselves felt in the chinese potteries in fact the europeans demanded and paid for european shapes and european designs so that european subjects were produced with more or less fidelity and armorial porcelain on which arms or crests of european families were painted in enamel on vases table services and decorative pieces of various kinds at this period too we find evidences of the influence of the christian missionaries in china as shown by the religious subjects enamelled or painted on plates such subjects for instance as the crucifixion and other scenes of biblical history we have stated that the decoration was modified to meet the wants of the european market and we note also that the various shapes were also modified to suit that market the chinese used saucer-shaped dishes but these were largely replaced for exportation only by dishes and plates with rims so that we finally reached the last class the porcelain called east india company china decorated with subjects not armorial nor scriptural but european the chinese themselves were faithful copyists imitating exactly the pattern from which they had to work we shall deal with this subject more fully in a later chapter chapter six a short account of the early history of porcelain perhaps what we have said will inspire our readers with a desire to know something of the origin of the potter's art in china this cannot be definitely fixed it is lost in antiquity far back centuries before the christian era possibly when egyptian civilization was at its height legendary history refers to the invention of pottery and indeed places the invention of pottery thousands of years b c we have no definite information as to what was made 
but we may fairly assume that in those remote times the vessels made were only coarse clay rude in form sun-dried or badly baked in an open fire then possibly the first efforts at glazing were produced and ornamented the surface was decorated by drawings with a stick in transverse scratches or concentric rings and simple bits of clay stuck on to the soft surface formed the first applied ornament gradually developing and ever far in advance of western barbarism the manufacture reaches the period where actual records were available during the wei dynasty 220 a d when two potteries were recorded as making porcelain for imperial use the string of dynasties which follows have but slight interest for the collector the marks we give see marks range from the sung dynasty 960 a d to the tsing dynasty which period came into power in 1644 and continues to the present day though we read of porcelain blue as the sky shining as the looking-glass thin as paper giving a sound like a musical stone we could scarcely hope to find a specimen after the lapse of so many hundred years besides if we did the piece would be unique and even the experts would doubt its identity still the tiny fragments of this precious ware are recognized in china and are so valuable that the chinese have them mounted as personal ornaments the first of the dynasties shown in our list has a real claim for consideration that is the sung dynasty which lasted from 960 to 1279 a.d the emperor chin tsung who reigned from 954 to 1007 a.d adopted his title name or nian hao on coming to the throne king ti and he founded the royal manufactory at Chongnanqin, henceforth known as King Tichin. This city remained for many centuries the greatest manufactory of Chinese porcelain. Here, then, we have definite history of a city in the Chinese provinces of Kiangxi, with a present population of 500,000, in which porcelain has been manufactured for centuries, and where the manufacturing is still carried on, although, through wars and insurrections, the work has now and then been suspended for varying periods. There were numerous other factories in thirteen other provinces, notably in Honan, which has no less than thirteen. Historical incidents occur which show that oriental porcelain was by slow degrees making its way westwards. Saladin, 1137-1193, Sultan of Egypt and Syria, who defended Accra for two years against the Crusaders, sent forty pieces of finest porcelain to Nur-ed-Din Mahmud, who recovered Assyria from the Crusaders. That celebrated Venetian traveller and author, Marco Polo, writing in 1280, described a visit to a Chinese factory, and stated that the porcelain was exported all over the world. The Yuan dynasty, 1279-1367, saw the advent of Roman Catholic missionaries and Florentine traders. They came to Peking and Hangchow, and far-off Cathay, the land of mystery, romance, and poetry first to make acquaintance with the western barbarians we read of porcelain of this period having been moulded modelled and painted with flowers the most noted potter Peng, was not famous for his own individual work of designing new forms or inventing new colours but for copying the older wares and we shall never have an opportunity of seeing his work which though beautiful was very thin and brittle chapter seven the ming dynasty 1368 to 1644 and its products the story of the overthrow of the mongol dynasty by a rebellion headed by a native named hongwu 
the son of a laboring man, introduces the great Ming dynasty. This man, a former Buddhist priest, captured Nanking in 1355, and thirteen years later he took the title of emperor. During this dynasty, which lasted till 1644, the progress of the manufacture of porcelain was very marked. Indeed, the Chinese themselves are keen collectors of the Ming products, considering them to be the finest ever made. They scarcely exist outside the treasures of the cabinet of princes or the collections of mandarins. Whether this is due to the extreme devotion of the nation to past history and to their love of ancient relics more than their appreciation of what we consider beautiful, the fact remains, in the early times, Ming porcelain was rarely exported, so that we have very little to guide us in determining what is or is not porcelain of the Ming period. True, there are the marks, but the marks were copied just as much as the forms and decorations were. The best periods of Ming porcelain arranged in order of merit and not in order of date were Suen Ti, 1426-1436, Tsinghua, 1465-1488, Yang Lo, 1403-1425, Kie Tsing, 1522-1567. Tsinghua is the first in order of reproduction. His mark is most frequently copied. About the period of Tsinghua, Europeans were making efforts to reach the east by sea, and in 1498 Vasco da Gama sailed round the Cape of Good Hope and thus made an opening, by which eventually trade was carried on by sea to China. The Portuguese were the first to settle in China in 1516. From their factory or settlement in Macau, or Macau, at the entrance to the Canton River, the first seaborne pieces of Oriental porcelain were sent to Europe by way of the Cape. The conclusion, therefore, must be, in view of these dates, that the earliest pieces found in England and on the continent were carried overland, by camels, thousands of miles over mountains and through deserts, till at last they reached their European owners. The earliest porcelain found in England, that is, a celadon bowl presented to New College, Oxford, by Archbishop Warham, and the bowls of Oriental China given in 1506 by Philip of Austria to Sir Thomas Trenchard, came by land. The Portuguese vessels were not content to sail only to China and to exchange its products for those of Europe, for in 1542 they appeared in Japan. Fernand Mendez Pinto, in his Travels, published in 1545, states that he and his companions were cordially received by the Prince of Japan. Evidently, then, at the time when Queen Elizabeth was reigning in England, the Portuguese were pushing their trade in the east, as the Spaniards were in the west, and, as we have seen, the Portuguese, amongst other commodities, sent Oriental porcelain home and brought European products back. They brought the Jesuits, too. Christian teachers had been at work in China for long years before the Jesuits came, but the activity and knowledge of these gave them great influence amongst the reigning class, practically from the close of the 16th to the beginning of the 18th century. It is said that they had much to do with the evolution of the beautiful enamel colors of the next dynasty, the Tsing, though the evidence of this is of the slightest. On the contrary, the development appears to have had purely a native origin, an unusual step, it is true, to be taken by a nation which seemed all along the line to be reproducing earlier forms and earlier decoration. From the period when the vases of the Yang Lo period were in demand, painted as they were with lions, rolling a ball, with birds or with dark blue or red flowers, we find progress being continually made. 
Suentit, whose reign is the most celebrated for the production of Ming porcelain, produced very fine examples with flowers in pale blue, having red fish moulded as handles. Then comes the fine color paintings of Qinghua, through which we reach the perfection of the Kang He in the Tsing dynasty. It is remarkable that only a few Ming specimens seem to have been identified with enamel color decoration, though in recent, indeed quite late times, authorities are ascribing many pieces with green and yellow enamel set in black outline to Ming rather than to Kang He. White, green, and crackle pieces are often mentioned in the historical records. We read that Lord Treasurer Burley, William Cecil, Secretary of State, for nearly forty years to Queen Elizabeth, offered as a New Year's gift, in 1588, to his royal mistress, one porringer of white porcelain garnished with gold, and another gift of a similar kind was made to the Queen by Mr. Robert Cecil, a cup of green porcelain. Later we read that amongst the effects of Lady Dorothy Shirley were porcelain stuff, Chinese stuff, two dozen porcelain dishes. It will be noted that it was only with the advent of Shakespeare and the authorized version of the Bible that our English spelling took anything like uniformity. The last note regarding Lady Shirley's possessions was made in 1620. In the time which had elapsed between these records much had occurred in the Orient. The Dutch, in 1595, sent out their first expedition to the East Indies, and Queen Elizabeth, not to be outdone, dispatched three English ships to China in 1596. Three years later the East India Company was founded, a company which at first could not trade in India or China, owing to the fierce opposition of the Portuguese and Dutch. They therefore made their headquarters at Gombron, in the Persian Gulf. The China ware was brought overland or by coasting vessels to Gombron, which gave the early name Gombron ware to porcelain which was universally used before the adoption of the name China. During the Ming dynasty, the practice of placing marks upon the porcelain was first adopted, though the rule seems to have been to mark only one piece in a set. Yet the method of marking porcelain was far from being universal or methodical. In acquiring Ming porcelain, the buyer must be especially careful. For many centuries the old forms were copied, and in counterfeiting the porcelain and its decoration it was quite easy to imitate the mark. Here, then, we must once more advise the collector to rely upon sight and touch, we have stated that it is the inspiration of the educated eye regarding the tout ensemble, which was largely to be trusted. On the other hand, it would not be well to dispense with the necessity for actually handling the piece with the view to detecting differences between the old and new work. In dealing with fine pieces there is one advantage. They are all submitted to expert after expert, whose opinions may vary, but truth is great and will prevail. The end of the Ming dynasty was rapidly approaching. The Tartars, with shaven head and pigtail, were as the storm-clouds which had been collecting for some time, and at length they burst over the empire. The space of time between the years 1616 and 1644, when the struggle for supremacy between the Ming and Tsing dynasties was at its height, leaves the identification of porcelain made during that period a matter of considerable difficulty. In a national struggle, art manufacturers are the first to suffer, so that it is quite probable that only a small output of porcelain took place during these troublous years. In revising the Ming period, note should be made that the Hung Wu preferred black, blue, and white ornaments, and that gold used as decoration for a dark blue ground was first employed. 
in young lo's time intense patches of color were used and there was a development with regard to the reds a dark red was widely adopted the paintings of flowers and of birds and beasts mainly used figuratively as emblems became far more delicate the Qinghua potters seem to have adopted a delicacy and a mastery over the art of porcelain decoration scarcely ever met with in history it is true that the supply of blue failed the cobalt was of an inferior quality and the colored painting reached high perfection the marks and designs of the Qinghua period furnished unexampled opportunities for copying for although the later kong he showed without doubt the finest blue and white with regard to color that was ever made the pattern generally adapted can be distinctly traced to Qinghua. Qiatsing was noted for the use of enamel colors of a beautiful depth and quality. About this time pure white cups were made imitating white jade, but the quality of the porcelain is inferior to many of the other periods because one of the sources of supply of porcelain earth failed. Chapter 7. The Tsing Dynasty, Kong He Period. 1661-1722. Bearing in mind the struggle between the Mings and the Tartars, which lasted, as we have seen, from 1616 to 1644, we may take Shun Chi, 1644-1661, as the first real Tsing emperor. Properly, the title of the dynasty, which has existed to our own times, would be the Manchu, or Manchu, or Tsing, or Tatsing dynasty, which is the twenty-second imperial dynasty. The most distinguished emperor in connection with the manufacture of porcelain was the second, named Kong He, who had a long and peaceful reign from 1661 to 1722. In fact, he is the only emperor who reigned for a complete Chinese cycle of sixty years, and we shall find amongst our marks that the sixty-first year is distinguished by a cycle mark and not by the Nian Hao, or name mark. Note figure 1 in the marks. Under Kong He's guidance, the porcelain manufacture received an immense impetus. Many improvements were adopted and new colors introduced, especially the enamel colors. Amongst the noted potters living long before his reign were two whose names have come down to us, although identification of their work is impossible. The famous Peng, as before noted, was an excellent potter, but he was only a copyist of old forms. Chao was a later potter who, near the end of the Ming dynasty, also excelled in imitating ancient vases. The work of these two old potters were copied at first by potters of the Kong He period. Franks says, It is probably to this reign that we must refer most of the old specimens of Chinese porcelain that are to be seen in collections, even when they bear earlier dates. What generally were the qualifications and characteristics of the productions of the King Tichin? in this reign. Our illustrations, which should be read carefully, will give guidance to the careful student regarding the Chinese porcelain that was then produced. There seems to have been little doubt that the three colored pieces, decorated with yellow, green, and aubergine, were direct copies of the Ming products. Aubergine is a puzzling word and requires an explanation. It is a transparent enamel resembling the eggplant in the variation and gradation of its colors from gray to purple or having various shades up to a rich brown. It will be found in the trees, stems, and branches, forming a principal part of the scheme of color decoration. The black family, famille noir, is of the same period. The black may be composed of other colors, but it is usually coated with transparent green enamel. Notice that there is a dull black, a mirror black, 
and this black covered with green enamel. Kong He black will receive due attention in the illustrations. It is rare and very valuable. Perhaps the first porcelain produced during the Kong He period was the green family, sometimes used with blue under the glaze. Wan Lai, the Ming Emperor, is sometimes credited with introducing this green enamel. This, however, seems very improbable, for twice in his reign the Japanese invaded Korea, and the Tartars were always in rebellion. On the whole, the balance of evidence points to the green family as being a genuine product of the Kong He period. Another product of the same period was the green enamel used with blue enamel over the glaze, so that it is well to note that the fine greens which are classified as famille verte are usually ascribed to this period. The blue and white of the Kong He period has been noted before. The most lovely quality of this decoration must be always referred to this period. Whether we consider the cobalt blue as a color, as in the celebrated ginger jar with the prunus flowers sold at Christie's for 5,900 guineas, or such pieces as we show in our illustration from Mr. Duveen's collection worth 2,000 pounds each, from 1720 right down to our own times this ware has been copied and ever recopied, but there is something in the blue used for decoration, something too in the quality of the white porcelain itself, and again something in the glaze an intense brilliancy. These furnish a combination which has never been rivaled. The Kong He period was noted for a very rare biscuit, Celadon, in which the surface of the panels in relief is unglazed, though the remainder of the decoration is blue under the glaze. Another fine quality of porcelain was that with archaic decoration having conventional flowers and bands in black and green. The marks of the Kong He period vary. In the earlier part of his reign, the double blue circle and the Kong He Nian Hao are frequent, but collectors must note that many specimens of this period have no date mark at all. If the two blue rings are used, there are no letters inside. The reason of this is rather curious. In 1677, the superintendent of the works gave an order to the factories at King Ti Chin in which he forbade the inscription of the emperor's name or the characters which gave the history of their sacred great men. This order was given because it was thought that if the porcelain was broken it would be reflecting upon the honor of the emperor or of the sanctified persons who were represented not alone by inscriptions but by paintings used in the decoration. However, this law did not remain in force for a very long period. When a piece is found with empty rings or with the symbol marks of the fungus leaf, etc., it can be assigned to a few years later than 1677. The importation to Europe had reached considerable dimensions before this. We read that in 1644 nearly 50,000 pieces of rare Japanese china were imported into Holland, and about 17,000 more of various kinds from Batavia by the Dutch East India Company. In this connection the rivalry between the Dutch and the Portuguese must be noted because it affected the oriental trade in porcelain very considerably. Stirred up by the Dutch, the Japanese, in 1640, excited by their fears of the ultimate designs of the Portuguese and the Spaniards, who had later appeared upon the scene, banished them in favor of the Dutch. Some thousands of Christian converts were massacred, and the Dutch were fully established at Nagasaki, where they laid the foundation of the progress towards Western civilization to which the world, and especially Japan, owes so much. Chapter 9. The Yongqing Period, 1723-1736. The Yongqing Period, 
1723 to 1736, though only thirteen short years, was peculiarly noteworthy, because the emperor himself took a personal interest in the imperial factories at King Tichin, and also in the head of the establishment, Hienxiai Yao, who, in seventeen twenty seven was entrusted with the management in porcelain much depends upon the potting and in the actual potting the products of yung ching were far superior to any that had before appeared the drawing too was in every way better the colours though not so brilliant showed such care and taste in blending that even the fine famille verte suffers by comparison as a rule the decoration was so applied that the porcelain could be admired that is the whole surface was not covered by the ornamentation in some of the smaller pieces the result of this plan is beyond all praise only one thing suffered the blue was far inferior to that of kong he we have already praised the quality of the cobalt applied as decoration to vases ginger jars etc of the kong he period as if to balance this default the rose color from gold was discovered which gave birth to the rose family famille rose other products which had their beginnings in this reign are worthy of notice first there was a black decorated with color mainly with arabesques or curl work the porcelain was of fine quality and the color scheme so subdued as to be entirely pleasing to the eye the black being relieved by pattern in faint green and further decorated in white pale yellow and aubergine of such an admirable character that one wonders why young ching porcelain is not more appreciated Still the rose decoration, begun so successfully in this period, under the succeeding emperor, received such attention as to place it in the front rank of oriental porcelain. In fact, we may say more. Collectors of the rose family care nothing for Ming, with its greens and yellows, nothing for Kang He, with its famille verte, and black, but they esteem and value above all the famille rose, the young Qing, chef which we shall deal with later when we come to Qin Lung. The pieces of the Yung Qing period, decorated with blue under the glaze, with enamel in color over the glaze, exhibited the same distinctive features which typical china of this period showed, that is, excellent potting and a skillful blending of the underglaze blue with the enamel colors over the glaze. There is this noteworthy distinction, too. The decoration of the backs of bowls and dishes is almost equal to that on the front this is a helpful hint to which careful note should be given perhaps one of the most puzzling and at the same time interesting forms of decoration was the blue used in conjunction with peach bloom these specimens were ornamented with combinations of three lines either long or bisected called the pa qua the single mark forming a trigram essentially male if the long lines were in the ascendant and female when the half lines were most numerous the later marks or symbolical devices will deal more fully with the pa qua peach bloom was undoubtedly first introduced in the reign of kong he and the really valuable and fine examples belong to this period only it is altogether a misleading term to those who are not experts who expect to find the delicate pink of the peach blossom or flower peach bloom is nothing of this kind Imagine a dark reddish-brown of unusual but beautiful tone pierced through its surface in flecks of dark green and spots of pink, such as the flower would be when the first touch of spring coaxed it from the dark-colored sepal with flecks of green and a touch of pink. It is the color of the bud when the peach begins to bloom, not the pink of the peach blossom so prettily tinted with yellow. Peach bloom and clair de lune 
are the two very finest self-colors which take precedence even of sang de boeuf we shall have occasion to occur to this again in the chapter on self-colors the next class is black with coral red under the glaze in fact two colors are found under the glaze in the young ching period blue and red the red is of a brilliant tone not so striking as the red from gold but still very lovely in combination with blue sometimes these two are used together with added enamel colors but frequently in underglaze decoration that favorite ornament the five-clawed dragon in pursuit of the crystal ball or pearl may be found the circular device ball or pearl showing the yang or the ying signs for the male and female elements in nature were at this period raised on the surface and in overglaze enamels both the waves and the clouds were tinted with various shades of green and purple and aubergine edged with black we have already referred to the rose family in which the enamel decoration was most carefully and artistically carried out in all its detail the preponderating influence was a brilliant rose color accompanied by green yellow and blue in all enamel colors which were not less striking because still subordinate to the beautiful pink when waves were used in the decoration they were of a charming sea-green celadon enamel the blue painted under the glaze has already been referred to as being inferior in quality in color and brilliance to the products of kong he in fact we must repeat that no blue and white was ever equal to the kong he ginger jars and vases decorated with the prunus pattern usually called the hawthorn with the lip unglazed on the outside and partly glazed on the inside present-day potters produce blue and white ginger jars but the blue of kong he is unapproachable the paste is exquisite and the glaze is incomparable the young ching potters did well in blue and white and the blues though less brilliant were very bright and pleasing the distinctive feature of the period is that the borders of the vases were incised after the manner of the ming blue and white a pattern which appears at no other period let us try to explain this about an inch from the top of the vases there is an incised pattern a pattern cut in double incised lines although forming a band about half an inch wide a similar incised band is found round the base young ching blue and white often has a decoration of rocks waves and curious conventional ground in blue of a carefully painted peach tree springing from the rocks painted blossoms of a rich red tone with reddish or yellow-brown spots distributed over the white as if to emphasize the form of the decoration the contrast between the delicacy of the detail is striking when compared with the broad treatment of the kong he period on the other hand there is fine stipple work this is young ching on the other hand there is a broad bold wash of color this is kong he one of the most effective forms of decoration is what is widely known as powder or powdered blue in which the cobalt is sprayed through gauze or dabbed either upon the whole surface or upon all of the surface except that by which mechanical means was reserved students of oriental china will often come across the expression painted in reserves or compartments by this is meant that the scheme of decoration of the whole surface has been so far modified that certain panels have been left in white for further decoration hence we get reserves of various shapes with varying decorations powder blue vases with reserves decorated in blue powder blue vases with reserves decorated in famille verte and so on the apparently granulated surface of powder blue is due to the color having been blown through the fine gauze or dabbed on the whole portion that was not reserved Celadon was brought to great perfection in this reign. 
not only the various tints of green usually known by that name and not only the brilliant white celadon glaze with raised decoration in which a celadon green is very effectively employed but various glazes in which the color being applied in the glaze was included in the same term celadon the decoration often floral was noted for its subdued tones of pink mauve red and orange vases of the ming dynasty especially the Xuan Ti and the Changhua periods were copied and recopied in every detail beautiful bowls were largely made with celadon or coral grounds with figures or other ornaments in colored enamel sometimes reserves or compartments in white had special treatment of figure decoration other specimens imitated jade or agate or carnelian or some other stone the well-known pale green celadon is the only one known to the trade by the name celadon red or blue celadons would be classified under self-colors we have noted the green family family vert of kong he the young ching products of the same class differ from it in the quality of the colors used the green enamel itself was much thinner and not so brilliant it often had a blue shade but it too was applied as an enamel in conjunction with the underglaze blue decoration instead of the reds from copper the reds from iron were effectively used a coloring like the red of rusty iron was used in several shades ranging from an orange red to a bright orange or even to a salmon pink other colors in soft tones were used but a chief point to remember is that whilst the design is usually drawn in blue under the glaze all the enamel colors were applied over the glaze so that a blue tinge is conspicuous and is a help to identification a reference was made earlier to the rose family this was a red from gold and perhaps its highest development is seen in the brilliant ruby-back plates of the young ching and keen lung periods this color had its origin in the young ching's short reign and the shades of it vary from pink to purple as enamel the rose color is most wonderfully applied to flowers drapery etc and really it is far more decorative than the green the powder blue or indeed any other color it has their artistic merit and the additional one of being a soft and most attractive tint if green represents the leaves rose pictures the flowers and perhaps the most lovely combination is rose verte where both of these are used in harmony chapter ten the keen lung period seventeen thirty six to seventeen ninety five during the first seven years of the reign of this emperor there was but little variation in the character of the porcelain manufacture at king ti chin in seventeen forty three however a new director was appointed to the works thang ing who continued the high quality of the manufacture of the two previous reigns and brought the rose family to the most perfect state indeed though the european influence exerted by the jesuits may possibly have been more powerful than before yet no european china quite reaches the glowing brilliance of these chinese vases and dishes imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and chelsea tried to copy the rose color the result being the fine claret color of the chelsea china sevres came nearest with the rose de bori but after all the lover of old oriental porcelain devotes all his energies to the acquisition of specimens made and decorated in the old times imitations perhaps of very early chinese products but perfectly chinese in instinct and impression it is difficult if not impossible to separate keen long china from yong ching in unmarked pieces before the full development of the rose famille but the reign of keen lung was so much longer comparatively 
and during the period the porcelain manufacture was so active that it would be safe to ascribe the fine specimens of this rose family to it as well as to yong ching when the invention of the rose enamel took place in the last reign we considered but only shortly this famille rose the exquisite delicacy of these specimens lies in the combination of an elaborate but refined style of decoration in which the painting was most artistic with the graceful shapes of these pieces themselves there are other types bolder in color broader in execution and it may be equally beautiful take for example a vase its body would be covered with large sprays of flowers in rose yellow and other enamels but the rose predominates and gives an effect which is very rich and striking chrysanthemums peonies irises or flags anemones pumpkin vines with flowers and fruit all these were in common use with birds and butterflies fishes and insects no less finely colored and as it were thrown up into relief by the use of black with that transparent green enamel which we have before described and here and there a black spot is applied for the same purpose of enhancing the value of the colored enamels the porcelain body of the keen lung period is very fine and white many of the specimens having a style of painting peculiar to the chinese artists of this period flowers such as those we have mentioned the chrysanthemum peony and rose seem to be ribbed as if when the enamel was not quite dry a tool was used for the purpose of breaking up the enamel and in this way getting finer effects from reflected light the porcelain itself sometimes assumed a wavy appearance such as would be left by the potter's fingers when the piece was turned on the wheel a similar wavy appearance is found on characteristic pieces on bristol hard paste porcelain when turned upon the wheel amongst the rarest decorations of this class of porcelain in this period is what is called millefleur in this class the whole surface is covered with a thousand flowers in variety painted exquisitely in enamel colors of every conceivable hue yet though the colors are so varied there is nothing but the most pleasing and harmonious effect pale lilac reds and yellows alternate with delicate shades of grays and blues when the panels are left in reserves a figure of decoration is freely applied to them and the figures depicted represent the spirits of the flowers on the bases which are covered with pale sea-green enamel are found the square seal marks of emperor keen lung it is scarcely possible to have the privilege of seeing such perfect work of ceramic art but the collection of the late mr w g goulard of brunswick terrace hove was especially rich in millefleur pieces the class allied to this but probably later in date is mill serfs that is a decoration consisting of numberless deer ranging in a forest the color is not nearly as brilliant as in the millefleurs class though the same wavy porcelain is to be noted the green bluish in tone like the greens of the young ching period are harmonized with browns in fact the aubergines merge into sepia or brown the hills are green and brown with some hilltops in blue enamel the birds are painted quite thinly in rather dull reds this glaze could be fairly described as late famille verte in this period the celadons show considerable advance celadons were produced late in the ming and early kang he periods and cover a range of tints which are difficult to describe as we have seen in the case of peach bloom and clair de lune the sang de boeuf is also difficult to describe so that a pilgrimage should be made to any museum which has a genuine specimen for instance in the british museum oriental section in the centre of a large cabinet there is a small bottle-shaped vase which is a real sang de boeuf 
a glaze of a brilliant color shaded toward a deeper claret and the base shading away into a pale yellow pink towards the lip which retains the soft natural tone of the body or paste then just below the neck of the sang de boeuf seems to glow with the intensity of the ruby just before it falls from the shoulder of the piece towards the base other colors of this period are known as pigeon's blood and chicken's blood crimson crushed strawberry and so on to nearly all of these colors the remarks which apply to the shading of the sang de boeuf can be noticed upon the specimens themselves here the glaze starts at the top of the vase or vessel there is a yellowish tinge and the color has several gradations until it ends at the base these reds originated in the late ming period reached high excellence under kong he and continued through yung ching's reign and under Qin lung maintained their high perfection the king lung red celadon has a somewhat blue shade when the light is reflected at an angle it is well to remember that all those colors which are called celadon or self-colored have the tints mixed in the glaze besides the reds there are blues of many shades violets mauves etc in fact any color that could be applied in the glaze was used as the sole decoration of fine porcelain it is true that in many of the fine vases the body is molded with flowers or dragons or other patterns yet the glaze was a whole glaze and therefore celadon notwithstanding this the celadon surface was itself frequently decorated by designs in enamel colors outlined in black as we have before shown it is easy to know whether a piece is decorated with celadon or with enamel because all enamel colors stand out from the glazed surface to which it is applied and by passing the fingers over the decoration the enamel can be felt this brings us to certain facts that must be remembered enamels like celadons may be of any color they are always burnt in so as to amalgamate with a cover glaze even if that cover glaze be itself colored and therefore celadon also there are but a few colors which can be applied before glazing that is upon the paste or body directly we have seen that blue and red were so applied this brings us to the other development the keen lung class of blue and red under the glaze was derived from that discovered in the yung ching period its application was developed with surprising skill by the finest workmen so that the application of copper red under the glaze in combination with blue gave splendid opportunities for these artists to display their preeminent skill for freehand drawing in applying designs upon the biscuit porcelain before the glazing took place if for example you pass your hand over a piece decorated under the glaze you will find a surface perfectly smooth as the color has sunk into the paste the next note is worth remembering because it may be applied as a practical test to distinguish between the old and the modern blue under the glaze this test of modern blue is to be found with the finest strokes whereas in the old work each stroke is perfectly smooth or uniform in its outline never labored never hatched but simple strokes which plainly follow the american plan of never taking three strokes when one will do most of the modern work reveals a tiny blue dot at the pull-off of the fine hair brush or pencil the drawing and writing of the chinese was always done by means of a pencil held perfectly upright by the fingers so that by examination of the pencil marks it is quite easy to see whether the blue lines have inequality especially at the point where the brush is removed and our readers may detect forgeries of the old marks as well as the old drawings by noticing this blue dot at the end of the stroke it is never found upon an old piece the coral red family which belongs peculiarly to this period 
is extremely pleasing and a very fine result is secured when used with blue under the glaze leaving the design outlined in red so that the red white and blue harmonize perfectly but the coral red was also used under the glaze as a ground color then it was thickly powdered with white chrysanthemum leaves and flowers and it had white reserves often decorated with sprays of conventional white lotus chrysanthemums and magnolia the chinese varied the colors in their decoration with wonderful effect blue under the glaze was as we have seen associated with reds under the glaze but it was quite effective with enamels over the glaze and we may take this as the next class of the period the design or any part of it was applied to the paste then the piece was glazed and fired so that on coming from the kiln it was simply a white porcelain piece having red or red and blue decoration under the glaze then enamel colors were used to complete the design such as green enamels with the blue designs showing through them and thin dull reds under the glaze as before noted whilst the rest of the piece was coated with decoration in yellow blue or even white enamel colors perhaps the most and here adjectives fail charming lovely famous are words which arise in the mind ruby pink rose eggshell plates really should be seen rather than described these all belong to the famille rose but eggshell was not confined to this family dated specimens seem to indicate that the two earlier reigns had seen the origin and progress of this beautiful ruby porcelain but there is no doubt that many of the finest marked pieces belong to the keen lung period though young ching produced excellent specimens let us give a few examples from the sale rooms but first we could wish that all who will read this chapter could betake themselves to the victoria and albert museum to the british museum to duveen's or gore's in bond street and see for themselves what chinese eggshell plates really are the salting collection in the museum at south kensington has very fine specimens and the british museum has similar specimens in two flat cases which unfortunately do not allow the full value of the ruby back to be appreciated at duveen's there are two cases filled with the loveliest specimens ranged before a looking-glass which enables the visitor to see both the design on the front of the plate and the lovely color at the back it is surprising and yet not astonishing from the point of view of the collector who will have the best to notice the prices which have been paid for these plates which are quite small ranging from seven and three-quarter inches to eight and a half inches in diameter a few examples will help in enabling us to estimate their value one eggshell plate enameled with chrysanthemums and a sparrow and with sprays of peonies round the border on pink diaper pattern ground eight inches in diameter sold at the sale of louis huss collection for one hundred and five pounds the other pieces realized at the same sale are no less striking saucer dishes pear eggshell with ruby backs enameled with branches of chrysanthemums and peonies on a white ground eight inches in diameter sold for eighty pounds but a better pair enameled with cocks and peonies in the center on white ground with pale green trellis border seven and three-quarter inches in diameter realized four hundred pounds one saucer dish enameled with a pheasant quail and peonies in the center and a pale green marble border with pink prunus blossom and three panels containing flowers eight inches in diameter brought a hundred and thirty-five pounds the first and last of these were not pink backed but they were certainly beautiful other eggshell plates at the same sale with ruby backs which we shall describe shortly even at the risk of appearing monotonous were one enameled with ladies and children in the center diaper border with three panels of flowers 
eight and three-quarter inches in diameter, which realized one hundred and fifty pounds. Another, enameled with quails and chrysanthemums at the center, with pink and green diaper borders and three panels of flowers, one hundred and fifty-five pounds. Another, enameled with a lady and two children by a table, in a leaf-shaped panel, on gold ground, with border of various colored diapers, eight and a quarter inches in diameter, two hundred pounds. Two saucer dishes, enameled with peonies and persimmon fruit in the center, and shaped border of diaper ground, the border on green ground, with pale pink trellis edge, seven and five-eighths inch in diameter, three hundred and ten pounds. A similar pair, but enameled with ladies and children, and vases in the center, on a white ground, with pale green trellis pattern border, and three panels of black, seven and three-quarters inches in diameter, fetched the same price, three hundred and ten pounds. The gem of the whole collection was a plate finely enameled with a group of ladies and children, vases and utensils in the center, with seven borders of various diapers and a small panel of flowers, eight and one-eighth inch in diameter, two hundred and eighty pounds. The plate with the seven borders is the most famous of these eggshell ruby-backed plates. The center panel, or reserve, is leaf-shaped, having in enamel colors, very delicately painted, a lady seated with two boys. Near her is a table on which are books, vases behind her and two vases on her left. This panel is surrounded by six diaper borders of various widths, of which the two chief are deep ruby, interrupted by four reserves in blue enamel, and the other a pale lilac, with four reserves enclosing flowers. Between reserves are four dragons in white. The diaper around the leaf is the seventh border. There are other diaper patterns in the five and four border plates, which have the leaf-shaped central panel, a decoration which is very similar. Some, however, of these eggshell plates have no diaper work, the sole decoration consisting of two cocks, beautifully enameled, near rocks and foliage. Indeed, these birds are often found in plates with borders. Similar eggshell plates may have landscapes or flowers as the central decoration, with or without diaper borders. The name ruby-back is given to these plates because the whole of the back, excepting the center inside the rim, is enamel with a beautiful ruby tint. Indeed, we may say that these plates are amongst the finest creations of the Yung Ching and Qin Lung periods. To the eggshell china belong delicate mandarin vases which, probably, were made for exportation. Chapter 11. Mandarin Porcelain, Qin Lung Period, 1736-1795, and later. A Mandarin is a Chinese official, either civil or military, but the word itself is not Chinese. It is a name given indiscriminately by foreigners to designate any Chinese official of whatever rank. The recognized official grades of Mandarin are nine, each distinguished by its dress. The so-called button on the hat, the Mandarin button, is conspicuous. It is really a very valuable jewel, and, like the rest of the dress, is worn under precise regulations. It will be interesting to notice how the Mandarin's rank is shown by the dress. The coats are always embroidered with gold, and were of colored silk. In the first order, the button on the hat was a bead, and above that an oblong button of transparent ruby red, transparent red. The coat was violet, with a square plaque on the breast and back decorated in the civil class with a pelican, in the military class with a kylan, whilst the belt was ornamented with four agate stones set in rubies. In the second class the button was a red coral button resting on the ruby bead, red opaque. 
The coat had embroidered plaques decorated with a hen for the civil class and a lion for the military class. The belt was ornamented with four embroidered plaques with rubies. The third class had a sapphire button, blue transparent. The coat had embroidered plaques decorated with peacock's plumes, each feather having only one eye. The symbolical peacock represented the civil class and the panther the military class. The belt was ornamented with four plaques of worked gold. In the fourth class, an azure-colored button of lapis lazuli, blue opaque, rested upon a small sapphire bead. The coat had embroidered plaques decorated with the crane for the civil and the tiger for the military mandarins. The belt was ornamented with four plaques and a silver button. The fifth class had a rock crystal button, white transparent, resting upon the small sapphire bead. The embroidered plaques were decorated with the white pheasant for the civil and the bear as the symbolical emblems. The belt was similar to the last class. The sixth class had a button of white polished opalescence shell, white opaque, with a blue feather. On the embroidered plaques of the coat were the emblems of a stork for the civil and a little tiger for the military divisions. Four tortoiseshell plaques and a silver button ornamented the belt. The seventh class had a button of plain gold, yellow brilliant, on a crystal bead. The embroidered coat had a partridge for the decoration of the civil division and a rhinoceros for the military. The belt was ornamented with four round silver plaques. The eighth class had two buttons, one upon the other, of worked gold, yellow opaque. The embroidered plaque of the coat bore the quail as the symbol of the civil division and the stork as the symbol of the military division. The belt had four ram's head plaques and a silver button. The ninth or last class had the second button of worked silver, blank opaque. The embroidered coat showed the sparrow as the emblem of the civil mandarins and the seahorse as the emblem of the military. Four black horn plaques and a silver button decorated the belt. It will be seen that Chinese porcelain decorated with figures such as these, dressed in their robes, received the name of Mandarin China. The actual word comes from the Portuguese, mandar, to command. Much could be said upon the subject of Chinese dress, as applied to porcelain in decoration, but it is only necessary to contrast the style of the Ming and Tartar dresses. The Ming long, flowing robes are held up with sashes, and the hair, turned up over the head, is either covered with a soft headdress or with the court ceremonial headdress. The Mandarin dress of the Tartar shows the robe principally, but there are besides the pantaloons and the high boots with thick soles. The hair is dressed in pigtail fashion, for from the earliest youth the Chinese children are shaved. The boys are shaved all over the head except at the top, and in the case of girls two tufts are left, one over each ear. These facts, while furnishing no actual clue to the age of Mandarin China, showed that at least it could not have been manufactured before the Tartars came into power in 1644. Probably the date of its manufacture is later. We can understand that these Tartars, who had enforced their own dress upon the conquered people, but who had at the same time adopted their religion, would continue copying the holy persons such as the eight immortals, the genie, etc., in the same dresses which had been used for hundreds of years. More than this, there seems to be a strong element of truth in the statement that the Mandarin decoration was due to the desire of the European traders to carry home porcelain which should illustrate the people, and the style, and the color of their clothes. If this is so, then the Yongqing period would be the first in which Mandarin China was produced. 
At any rate, we do know that most of it was made in King Long's reign, and that the potters of the later emperors to our own times have been manufacturing large quantities for commercial purposes. In Mandarin China, the figures vary in boldness and in general character, but the coloring is of one class, pinks, reds, yellows, blues, and greens, so distinct in tone as to receive the name of Mandarin colors. The decoration of this kind of china includes boys and men at games, such as kite flying, warriors fighting, marching, or resting, men and children in masks, figures walking, riding on horses, or on vehicles, lantern shows with scores of people, besides many other designs. This Mandarin decoration is associated with great varieties in the ground colors and patterns. Such are the swastika ground, the red ground, the blue ground mottled over the glaze, and the scroll ground. There are also many diaper patterns and a variety of borders of flowers, butterflies, dragons, sometimes in low relief, whilst often examples are met with in which vases are recessed so as to furnish a flat surface in which the decorative painting of figures, flowers, and birds lie flat in a shaped compartment or reserve, which may be joey-shaped, leaf-shaped, kakimono-shaped, or makimono-shaped. In studying the vases given as illustrations, these varieties of shaped panels should be noted, as they are constantly used in catalogue descriptions of the decoration. Amongst the most beautiful vases of this period are the conical-shaped eggshell vases, with short necks, covered with the most delicate scroll work in gilt, having large reserves decorated with mandarin figures, painted with the utmost delicacy, and the small reserves with rose and other flowers most carefully drawn. The question has been raised as to whether transfer printing as a mechanical process was ever applied to oriental porcelain. In England, Dr. Wall, of Worcester, is said to have invented transfer printing as early as 1751, and Sadler and Green, of Liverpool, lay claim to the honor of its discovery at about the same time, whilst on the continent a similar honor is claimed for the factory at Marieberg in 1760. There is no proof that any blue and white oriental china, except during the most recent times, was ever decorated on a transfer printed ground. All of the blue and white Nanking and Canton ware was painted by hand under the glaze. When we consider the immense amount of labor necessary to keep up the supply of porcelain to Europe, and also to the United States early in the 19th century, it is astonishing that no process work showing transfer printing can be discovered, although the invention must have spread to China before 1796, when King Long died. We shall treat of Blanc de Chine later, when we discuss the colors of Oriental China, but it must be remembered that most of the Chinese ware of this type was made during this period. Such were the statuettes of Quan Yin and many other gods and goddesses. This cream-white porcelain may date from any period even before Kang He. The earliest specimens are distinguished by being transparent, although thick, and by the creamy smoothness of their glaze. Some authors, however, ascribe the origin of this ware to the Qin Long period. Chapter 12. Kia King, Tao Kuang, and the Later Emperors. Kia King, 1796-1821. When any country is disturbed by internal divisions or by external invasion, the inhabitants pay less and less devotion to art. The reign of this king was certainly disturbed. The people suffered from misrule, and though the traditions of the Chinese potters did still keep up, in a measure, the high standard of the previous reign, the neglect of the governing bodies, the emperor and court, 
took away much of their devotion to the development of the porcelain so conspicuous in Qin Lung's reign. The porcelain, however, remained good in the quality of its paste, and now and then it reached excellence with regard to the decoration, which became characterized by conventional designs. Colored enamels and gold were largely used for ornamentation. The turquoise blue, famille rose, and a good blue-green were conspicuous. Mandarin china still continued to be made, though the modeling was comparatively clumsy and the paste thick, still, however, having the wavy surface always noticeable in Mandarin china, which was, as we have said, largely made for the European market. The influence of Western art made itself felt in the decoration. Many scenes were painted with European subjects, especially in the small reserves or vignettes. Some of the finest forms, too, of the early Sever and early Wedgwood and Adams styles were copied and decorated with festoons of raised husks, with a landscape in a medallion. This wavy porcelain seems to be specially connected with a comparatively thick blue enamel and a style of decoration usually called Lowestoff. Of course, it is not Lowestoff. Lowestoff was a soft paste porcelain imitating early Bow and Worcester. The porcelain of the Keen Lung period, then, might be named the porcelain of commerce. European forms of pieces not used by the Chinese themselves are often found. The process seemed to have been something like this. The East India Company, all the captains and officers of the East India Company's ships, when visiting China, took with them orders for services to be decorated with crests or armorial bearings, with English landscapes, or with sporting or religious subjects. Blue and white was made in vast quantities, owing to the demand from Europe. It needs but one sentence of description. It was poor. About this time the Chinese potters copied the Japanese. Imari ware, with its flowers in conventional forms, various celadons in blue, lilac, grey-white on good fine porcelain, are traced to this reign. Perhaps it was most celebrated for the reproductions of the porcelain of earlier periods in which both pattern and mark were constantly recopied. Tao Kuang, 1821-1851 In this period there was a special development of the enameled rice bowl, although beautiful vases so decorated with enamel as to cover the whole surface were not uncommon. The use of two shades of green produces a very pleasing and comparatively new effect. Unfortunately, the Chinese potteries, as in the previous reign, seem to have devoted much of their time to reproductions. The rice bowls were often decorated in graviata, graffito, or scravito patterns, in which the enamel was scratched with a point into a variety of twists and turns, forming beautiful variations from the ordinary plain enamel surface. This surface was also painted with flowers and figures. The process seems to have been first adopted by Keen Long, and many pieces have the Keen Long mark. In a set of four very fine examples which came under our notice, three had the Keen Long mark, and the fourth that of Tao Kuang. In all probability, the majority of them were made in the later reign, and the earlier mark was copied. The copying during this reign included all the older forms from the Kong He period, and it excelled in reproducing the famille verte and the famille rose. Perhaps the young Qing green enamel received the most special attention, for the outline of this design is often found first painted in blue under the glaze, so that the blue shows through the transparent surface enamels and gives a bluish tint to the decoration generally, which was quite the effect produced by a similar decoration in Yung Ching's reign. To the same class of rice bowls belong the pierced porcelains with patterns filled with glaze. 
Here the rice pattern is cut through the paste, while the paste was soft. Then, as usual, the blue decoration was applied, painted on by hand, and certain parts received a coating of white enamel before the whole was carefully glazed. The skillful glazing is shown by the evenness with which the pattern, in glaze, matches the general surface of the piece itself. The rice or star pattern is the most common of all these pierced porcelains. Some specimens have, however, a diaper pattern, and more rarely a dragon design with flowers and leaves, so cut that portions only are filled with glaze, which gives a very unusual and striking effect. These pierced specimens are not supposed to be earlier than the 18th century, and of course they may be very much later. Hien Fong, 1851-1862 Very little porcelain was made during this reign, owing to the Taiping Rebellion, during which King Ti Chin was destroyed. The first Chinese war with England took place in 1860. The rebellion ended in the next reign. Tong Chi, 1862-1875 With peace after the wars, the manufacture of porcelain was resumed. Generally, the best pieces were copied from the antique, though a pale turquoise ground with decoration of flowers and butterflies was made for exportation. Sepia drawings showed some distinction, but there was no new departure of importance. This period is modern, and these later emperors are only mentioned in order to bring the history up to date and to call attention to the marks both on ordinary and seal character. Quang Shui, 1875 to blank. In the present range, much more importance has been given to the improvement of porcelain, which is largely made for export, high prices being obtained for imitations which are sold as antiques. The largest customer is the United States of America. The intense conservatism of the Chinese has been largely broken down by the influence of outside pressure. The almighty dollar holds the field. Yet, if it is still true that, for ways that are dark and tricks that are vain, the heathen Chinese is peculiar, he holds no monopoly of such qualities. Western civilization runs him close. On the other hand, the honor of a Chinese in trade is generally of a high standard, and the people have a natural instinct for artistic decoration, which has come to them as a legacy of ages past. And with this power they have, too, an unlimited supply of the very finest kaolin. Let us hope that happier times will bring back the glories of the past. End of Selections from Chats on Oriental China by J. F. Blacker Read by Marianne Spiegel